to what we're looking at uh, together this morning. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible with me, if you would, to First, First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. Now, I uh, it's it's wonderful. Uh, we were John and I were talking about the Sunday school class and how the Sunday school class ties so wonderfully into what we're going to see together uh, this morning in the morning service. And then also I noticed how wonderfully the music uh, really fits wonderfully together with this also. And uh, it just really is wonderful how the Lord does that. We don't, I, I don't pick the music. Uh, we don't coordinate these things together purposefully. And yet the Lord does coordinate these things according to His own purpose. We have been looking in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, at this life, this new life that we have, the promise of God to have a life full of joy unspeakable and full of glory. We found, I I want to take a moment, we found in, in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is the first book in your Bible that deals with the realities of what God has promised to accomplish in our lives in what do you really have is the point. There's a huge difference between religion and having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrews, who God had met with for thousands of years, had had misunderstood what God wanted. God did not want them to perfect their assembling together in religion. What God wanted was for them to believe Him at His word and to walk with Him according to His Word. That's what God's desire was for the nation of Israel. And Israel, by the time the Christ, the Messiah, promised to them in their own Scriptures, by the time the Christ came, they didn't even recognize Him when He came. And they rejected Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ. Now, in the New Testament, the promise, the promise that God gives all through the Old Testament, listen, isn't just to have some kind of a religious deliverance from the powers that were in control in the world. That is what the Hebrews wanted. What they were looking for was for the Messiah to come and to free them from the yoke that Rome had put around them. But what Christ came to save them from was themselves. But they didn't want to be saved from themselves. They wanted to be saved from others. They wanted to be saved from circumstance. They wanted to be saved from difficulties. But you need to know, we need to know, they needed to know that the most significant difficulty in our life is our own heart. The thing we need to be set free from above all is sin. Not sin there, but sin here. And Christ came to set us free from the power of sin in our lives. Not just the penalty of sins, but the power of sin in our life. Now this we find we have a great high priest. The book of Hebrews says, All that the Old Testament pictures, we actually have. We don't have to go into this place with these offerings anymore. All of those things were a picture of what Christ himself was going to accomplish. He was going to be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And he was going to be the great high priest who would be able to take that offering into the Holy of Holies made without hand and present that once for all and then ever live to make intercession for us, not only to plead on our behalf before God, but to pour out from God a whole new quality of life 
within us. Listen, not into the church building, not into a facility that we would assemble in, but within us, ourselves. It is God's promise not only to forgive you of your sins, but that God himself would live in you and pour into you a whole new quality of life. And this is what we find in the book of Hebrews. When you come to the book of James, which is the book just before 1 Peter, the promise of God there is, I promise to give you this whole new quality of life in your everyday life. Now, starting in 1 Peter, we'll go through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1, 2, 2, 3 John, and Jude. In these books, God begins to focus on the individual quality, the individual significance of this whole new life in our everyday life. And, the, and he begins in 1 Peter by, look at this verse. This is what we find in chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8. Whom, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, having not seen you love, in whom... Though now you see him not, in other words, we're not in his presence right now, but because of the Holy Spirit living within us, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So God is promising in our everyday life that we can live a life full of rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now look up here for just a moment. How much of this is in your life, in your everyday life, how much of your life is full of this rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory? And if it isn't your normal life, then what is your normal life? What is your normal daily life? And this is the thing, we're finding in these books, we're finding together in uh, James and First and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John and Jude, that what God is testing is, and this is, this is so important, please hear me, God is testing to find out what the reality of your salvation actually is. I cannot tell you how many people have gone to church for an extended period of time, have had some kind of a religious activity take place in their life, and yet they're not new creatures. And it is only, listen, it is only the preaching or the hearing, it is only the hearing of the Word of God that causes us to come to grips with, well, what do I really have? Do I really have Christ within me, the hope of glory? Is that what's actually happened? And if that has happened, then why am I not more conformed to his image? Because God does not carry these things in front of us like a stick, like a, excuse me, a carrot on a stick, trying to get us to walk this way and then walk that way, never giving us the things that he wants us to have. No, no, God does it the exact opposite way. God so pours out the things into our heart that he wants us to have that it actually changes the way we live our life. A real Christian, a real new creature, a real born-again man, woman, or child is someone that has the Holy Spirit so changing them on the inside that we can see that change on the outside. It is not someone trying to live a highly religious life and earn God's favor. The blood of Christ earned God's favor. You see, when we were yet sinners, Christ didn't die for God although he did die for God, but that's not what the verse says. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand? God, he died, listen, Christ died to satisfy the holiness of God, but he also died to change you and I. He died so that we could be conformed to his image instead of trying to make ourselves in his image. It will do you no good. You can try as hard as you want to be as religious as you want, and yet you'll never have the joy unspeakable 
and full of glory that God wants you to have until you just rest in how great the Lord Jesus actually is. Now what I want you to see this morning, we've been, we've been alternating between looking at specific verses in a deep way and trying to keep backing up and looking at the whole thing in its context. We need to see the specific verses from, uh, in their context in order to be able to see just how powerful these, fat, these verses are. But we also need to back up every so often and take a look at the big picture so that we don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. The last couple of weeks we, we went into verse 3 and we went into verse 4 quite deeply. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to take verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 this morning and speak about them in a general way because I'd like you to see how they're tied together. So I'll begin reading. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3 just for the context because there's a period at the end of verse 2. So I'm going to read beginning in verse 3 and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 11 and then we're going to focus in on verses uh, 5 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. In whom, though you now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Father, help us, please, just help us this morning to be able to see that from the beginning it was always your plan to rescue us at a heart level, to conform us to the image of your Son, that while we were here, we might testify to the goodness and power of God to change men and women from what we were into what it is that you desire for us. Lord, we forfeited this. We, each and every one of us, individually have forfeited this with our own selfish living. And yet you have rescued us from ourselves. And Lord, you have not only rescued us from the penalty of what we have done, but, Lord, you are rescuing us from the power of those things in our lives now. And, Lord, soon, soon, you will take us all away from the very presence of these things. Lord, bless us as we would look together into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What I'd like to do is this morning, starting in verse 5, now we saw um, the abundant mercy of God, the inheritance that God has given us, and then in verse 5, it's speaking, so who is this for? This inheritance is for those of us 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How many of you, the phrase that is often used, in that, and it's an accurate phrase, is, is, is someone who's saved? How many of you would say, honestly, I'm saved. I'm saved from my sins. I'm saved from the wrath of God. I'm saved from the penalty that I earned and I deserved. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are aware of that? How many of you, listen, I'm not talking about how many of you are baptized, how many of you have joined a church, how many of you have peace with God because your sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ and you trust completely in the salvation that's provided for you because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for your sins. Well, listen, this is a wonderful, wonderful truth. But it leads ultimately to something better than what we're living right now. Yes? How many of you from the time that you were saved have been aware that things that are changing in your life are far more wonderful than you could have imagined that they were going to be? And yet at the same time, you're aware that I'm looking forward to a time when there's no sin at all in my life. Yes or no? You know, I, I say this a lot, a, a great deal. The, the, the thing I'm looking forward to most about not being here and being in heaven instead is to actually be in the presence of the one that laid down his life for me. To be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ is heaven. I really believe that. Just to be with him is heaven. But the second thing that I'm looking forward to, and, and at this point it is they're really very much equal things, and that is this, that there will be no sin there at all. To have the absence of all selfishness, to have the absence of all whining, to have the, I'm talking about my whining, my own flesh, to have absolutely none of Adam there at all anymore. Amen? What a wonderful thing this will be. Now, what I want you to notice is this. So this inheritance, this incorruptible, undefiled, fading not away, reserved inheritance, it's reserved in heaven for us, and we are kept by the power of God through faith. In other words, because, listen, the same faith that saved you is the same faith that is keeping you now. It is the power of God in your life as you just trust God for what He began and what he's going to finish. This is the thing about real salvation. Real salvation begins with God and ends with God. Church salvation begins with you doing something in some building somewhere and some religious person being there with you and helping you along to say this prayer or make this decision. And it is kept by people in those same buildings doing as well as they can week after week after week after when and hoping against hope that someday when the math is all done that there will be more good than bad and that somehow that will get you into heaven and it won't get you into heaven. It won't get anybody into heaven. It won't get anybody into heaven. But I remember, and many of you remember, the day that you put all of that away and said, I do not want my righteousness, but the righteousness that Christ already has. That's the righteousness that I want. I remember the day, and I know many of you do also, that I took my wickedness and handed it to the Lord Jesus Christ, and instead he gave me his righteousness and said, here, you hold on to this. I'll pay for this, you'll get that for free. Amen. What, what a quote-unquote bargain that is. Not for him, but it sure is for me and it sure was for each and every one of us. So what you see here is this. It says, who are kept by the power of God through faith 
unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's the thing. There's something that we're looking forward to, and Kenny sang about it. Again, I didn't ask Kenny to sing about it, but the song that Kenny chose to sing this morning, the song that God put upon his heart was Some Golden Daybreak. Amen? Listen, I don't know when it's going to happen. John was teaching Sunday school. By the way, you have no idea how much when John was teaching Sunday school this morning, I wanted to just get, stand up and say, all right, it's just time to go right into the morning message now. Let's go right into the morning message. Because there's so much about the book of Revelation that makes it very, very clear that soon the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And just a short period of time, and I really, believe, I really mean historically short, although at 53 years old it's going to be short for me whether it's short for the rest of you or not. What I realize is we will not be here that much longer, even if it takes a quote-unquote natural death to take us away from here. But I believe it's entirely possible, even probable, that the trumpet of the Lord shall sound at any point now, and he will come and take us and we'll all get to be with him. And what a wonderful, wonderful day that will be. One of the things that surprises me is the number of people who, are, who profess to be born again but are not interested in Jesus coming today. I, I, cannot, I must confess to you, I do not understand that kind of thinking. The first thing that I think of, quite honestly, when somebody says that to me is, well, I, I know that I'm saved, but I don't hope that Jesus will come today. My first thought is, are you sure you're saved? That, that makes no sense to me at all. I know that I'm saved, but I don't want Jesus to come and to take me to be with him where there will be no sin anymore and to be in his presence full of love forever. That's not what I want. It's what I want. It's what I want. It's really all that I want. Now I understand the Apostle Paul said he was in a straight betwixt too to depart and to be with Christ which is far better or to remain here and to minister to others. Now, he wasn't talking about Jesus coming and taking everybody. He was just talking about dying himself. And the point is, he would rather die himself and go be with Jesus, even if nobody else was leaving right then, except for this. There are those that God has put upon our hearts to minister to. That I understand. I understand not wanting to leave because you have loved ones that you want to hear the gospel, that you want to minister to. There are people that God has burned your heart. I understand that. But if he's going to come and get us, praise God for that amen that's what we're looking forward to that's that is the greater hope that we have that god is going to come and to take us all just like that by the way in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and i, I don't have time to go into this but if you look up the word twinkling the word twinkling is not a blink of an eye it's actually the light reflecting reflecting off the eye that's that's what it's actually the sparkle of the eye twinkling of an eye the sparkling of the eye so when you see that light in somebody else's eye when you see somebody's eyes we can see it's interesting you can see the light behind you in somebody's eyes you'll notice it you'll notice it more now that i've just made reference to it that quickly that quickly so that's literally at the speed of light you'll be changed completely changed completely changed amen all this corruption will put on incorruptible just like that, just like that. No more sin, no more selfishness, no more uh, agony and heartache caused by my own unbelief. None of that, instantly, just like that. And, and we will all be like that and meet him in the air. Kenny made reference, what a, what a meeting that will be, amen? Now one of the things that I really believe is going to happen is a song that we sing, um, children, we sing with children, and that is red, brown, yellow, black, and white. 
All are precious in his sight. And I believe that's true. But I believe that you'll find on the planet that we have a hard time putting red, brown, yellow, black, and white together. But I believe in the air there will be no problem putting them together. When I heard a preacher say many years ago, I think he's going to mix us all up on purpose on the way up there. Amen? And I fully believe that. And I'm glad that he's going to do that. I do not understand uh, racism. I do not understand these things. I do not understand sexism. I do not understand why we do not realize that there's one race and it's the human race. Do you understand? That we, are all, that we are all from Adam together. And God loves all of us equally. And he is going to come and receive all of those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ together at one time. And then there will be an, a universal church at that point. Because we will all gather together in one place right then. Well, praise God for that. That's what this is talking to. That's what this is talking about. So it says in verse 6, wherein. Go to wherein in verse 6. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I want us to look at this all together. We'll come back and look at it in little detail in the weeks to come. But I want you to see it in its context. Wherein. You might want to circle the word wherein. Now what is wherein? The I, wherein ye greatly rejoice. So there's, there's something that we're greatly rejoicing in. in verse, there's an antecedent, if you will, to wherein. What is it making reference to? And the answer is that last time. That's what it's talking about. Listen, there is a time coming in your salvation when everything will be perfected instantly, just like that. And by the way, that's worth rejoicing in. Now, the salvation that I have today is really worth rejoicing in, but I'm looking forward to that time. This time is really, we're looking forward to that time. We assemble together on Sunday morning and we sing together on Sunday morning because he is worthy, not only for what he's doing in our everyday life, in our everyday life now, but because of the hope that we have of his coming again and separating us from absolutely all selfishness. Amen? I was, honestly, I was amazed when God saved me. I was amazed that God could change me from the, well, I don't know, I mean, there's just such terrible things to say about me. So glad that he would save me from the consequences and the guilt of all the things that I had piled up. But what I found, what I am finding daily is I, am, I marvel more in his ability to make me into a better husband and a better father and a better friend and a better pastor. I have no power to do these things. By the way, Romans chapter 7 makes this very clear. You can be saved all your life and never have the power to make these kinds of changes in your own life. But thank God, God is able to make these changes in our lives. And we see it in our brothers and sisters as he's perfecting us, as we're going from glory to glory, as there's a change here and there's a change here. And it takes victory in our lives. It takes the, it takes the humility to acknowledge the arrogance in our own lives for God to give us victory over that arrogance in our life. But the, but the opportunity for victory has always been available. We just miss out on it because of unbelief. But God wants us not to miss out on these things anymore. So wherein ye greatly rejoice. And see, look, now this is so important. The end of verse 6 and verse 7 together are so important. This is, in, in the age in which we live right now, I want to stop and get a drink. Wherein, this time that's coming, this salvation ready to be revealed at the last time, this fullness of salvation that we rejoice so greatly in, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why? That the trial of your faith, this is what God, listen, and I'm telling you, this is what's going on. 
What do you really have? What do you really have a biblical salvation? How many of you, look, look and you can answer this question. I, I would like you to raise your hand, actually. How many of you had a profession, a religious profession of salvation, and yet were not saved at some point in your life? Raise your hand if that was true for you. I had a religion, raise, raise it up really high. Now, I want everybody to look around. That's a lot of hands. That's probably 50% of the hands of the people in the room. Go ahead and put your hands down. A, a profession of salvation. And by the way, many of you, I knew when you had that profession of salvation, but were not new creatures. Be, and here's why. This is one of the reasons that this happened. Because we want so much for people to be born again that if they will make any profession at all, we'll say, oh, praise God, that's wonderful. But here's the truth. Until there's fruit in your life, it's not real. Until, until the Holy Spirit bears fruit in your life, you shall know them, not by their baptism, not by their joining the church, you shall know them by their fruits. And the fruits of the Spirit are given to us in Galatians 5.22, and that's love, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. These are the things that we see in the lives of those that are really new creatures. So what we see here is this. We are in heaviness through manifold temptation that the trial of your faith... If you have real faith, if you really are trusting God where you're not trusting God, that will be taken away. Do you understand? Yes? No? It, let's, let's talk about it for just a moment. I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. Let's just talk about gold again for just a moment, right? Because the proof of this is this. Being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. So what we're talking about is the proving of gold, right? Is that not what the, the context is very clear? The proving of gold. So how do you prove gold? And this is the answer. You put everything that you think is gold in one thing and you put it into a fire. You put it in a vessel and you put the vessel into a fire and you heat the fire to such a degree that it literally melts the gold into a molten state. And what will happen is this. The impurities in the gold are lighter than gold itself and they will rise up off the gold. And then you can do what? You can skim off the dross. It's called the dross. You can skim off the impurities and throw that away. And then what? You put it back in. And you do it again. And you do it until what? Until there is no dross. And then what do you have? You have pure gold. So this is what God... Now listen, listen. There is such a thing as fool's gold. And by the way, this is not an accident. There's such a thing as fool's gold on the planet on purpose. Because what it, and let's say you got a great big pile of fool's gold, a huge chunk of it. And you say, I've got this huge chunk of gold. I'm not sure if it's all gold, but I've got this huge chunk of gold. Well, let's put it in the furnace and find out. And here's what you find out. Nope, the whole of it, all of it was dross. It had some shiny appearance to it in certain places, but none of it was pure gold. And what does that demonstrate? That that's not saving faith. Do you understand? A false profession will do you absolutely no good. But if you have the real thing, if you've really trusted Christ for your salvation, it isn't a pure trust when you get saved. When you first get saved, you do believe in the blood. You do believe that you're a sinner. You do believe that you're worthy of hell. And you do believe in a Savior that can save from hell and sin. Praise God for that. You do. You truly do. But you don't trust Him for everything. And when you get, I, mean, I remember, you know, there's, there's like, we were talking about the other day. Who was it? I was talking with somebody about the other day, maybe Tim Dryley. We were talking about the hymn, I Surrender All. And I said, I really don't know how many people have ever sung that song honestly, right? I said, if you, sang, if you were really going to sing I Surrender All honestly, you'd sing this. I surrender not much. 
right? Or I surrender some. Or I surrender a little more today than I did yesterday. Yes? But I surrender all. Now, by the way, when Jesus died on the cross, he surrendered all. Amen? The Lord Jesus is the only one that's ever made a complete sacrifice at one time. The Lord Jesus Christ surrendered all. And thank God he surrendered all. When he said it is finished, guess what? It is finished. Everything that you need for saving faith is then done. But what God is doing in our life is removing the things that aren't real faith. Now, why? Why does he do that? And this is why, honestly, this is why. Because there are people in your life that need to see the power of God in your life. Because they're not sure that Jesus is who he says he is. You are sure that Jesus is who he says he is. But what they need to see, listen, is not religious effort on your part. What they need to see is the power of God on his part in your life. Amen? Let me ask you, let me, honestly, I mean this with all my heart. How many, how many of you sitting here this morning would say, that is really what I want? Listen, I'm willing for God to do whatever is needed in my life so that the people who aren't saved that see me will see his goodness and his glory in my life, even if it means removing some of the dross from my life. How many of you would say that? All of us should say that. Not just, not just sure, but please, Lord, please remove me from me and replace me with the glory of Christ instead. Amen? This is what God is talking about. Now notice, notice, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire. So the trial of your faith. So faith is the word that's in view when we get to the word might. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, now ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Look, please look up here for a moment. The only thing that Christians really, really rejoice in is Jesus. The only thing we really rejoice in. Chris, listen, I'm, um, uh, it's, it's funny. I'm gonna, I have to make reference. It's one of the few things that, that makes sense to most people. I, I, don't, uh, I don't follow sports anywhere near like I used to. I still follow them a little bit. But one of the things I did a number of years ago is I set up something on my phone uh, and it seems to carry over, even when I upgrade my phone, this app seems to carry over the, the preferences. And that is, I get, the, I get the scores if the Red Sox are playing or the Patriots are playing, I get the scores. It tells me when the game, 15 minutes before the game's getting ready to start, in 15 minutes, the Patriots are going to play or the, or, the, or the Red Sox are going to play. I don't do the Celtics. I, I, lost, I lost any interest in the Celtics many, many years ago. But I still follow those. So listen, so yesterday, what I noticed yesterday was that the Red Sox are playing Anybody, any idea um, who the Red Sox are playing? Anybody have any idea who the Red Sox are playing right now? Young man who? The Yankees, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if Daryl was paying attention. Any idea? I was going to ask Daryl this morning when the Red Sox were winning 1-0 in the ninth, uh, who, the, who won last night, but it ends up that they did not hold that lead and the Yankees actually won that game. <clears throat> these things, the, listen, I, I say this because these things don't matter for some reason, like they used to in my life. I was saved at the age of 22. Sports mattered a lot more in my life at the age of 22, 23, 24, 25, 27, 29, 30, 35, 40. It mattered a lot more for some reason than it does now. Now it holds very little appeal to me. Very little. But you want to know why? You want to know why? And I mean this honestly. Because Jesus is replacing all of these things in my life. He's just replacing. Now listen, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't care about this or you shouldn't care about that. The things that you care about, care about them. But this is what I will tell you is Christ will replace them all eventually. Because he's the only, the only thing, I, you know, I mean, for those of you that follow any sports at all, 
Uh, anybody know who won the Super Bowl last year? The Patriots fan asks everybody. So, uh, so the Patriots won the Super Bowl last year. And, and I was excited. The day they won the Super Bowl, I was excited. I was excited for a couple days after that that they won the Super Bowl. But a couple days after that, I didn't care anymore. Now, why is that? Why? Now, listen, you can think of, you make whatever thing you want in your life. This is the point. Listen, this is what it says. Whom having not seen you love, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is there anything else in your life that gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory? And the answer is no, there isn't. There isn't. And yet, as we talked about at the tent meeting, when, when Brother Rick Whitlow preaches a, just a pure salvation message, nothing about the, the results of that salvation, nothing about the fruits of that salvation in our life, just a salvation message that talks about the Lord Jesus Christ shedding his blood to, to save sinners. How many of us rejoice like, like we were hearing it for the first time? And the answer is all of us. All of us. You want to know something that will never bore, never bore a born-again Christian? And the answer is this, the gospel. The gospel never bores us. Every single time we hear about the goodness of Christ, it causes us to rejoice in a way that we didn't even understand. Sheila said this morning, we were talking earlier, when she and Malcolm got here earlier, we were talking about the class on Tuesday night. And she said, I have been, this class on Exodus has been such a tremendous blessing to me. And she said, and it's not like we haven't studied Exodus before. And I said, I know, it's remarkable. The more I study the word of God, the more awesome Jesus becomes every single time I study the word of God. And this is what the passage is saying. We rejoice with more joy, with more joy unspeakable and full of glory, the older we get in our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, then we go to verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Now what I want to do is I want you to see verse 5 and verse 9, but I wanted you first to see them in their context. Now I'm just going to read them. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It, it's, it's saying the same thing. Is it not very clearly making reference to the same thing? Let me read it again. <clears throat> Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we are looking, right, and this goes back to the end of verse 6, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ because when he appears, we will receive the end of our faith. Anybody want to guess what the word end is here? And the answer is yes, it is telos. It is the goal. The goal of your, listen, the goal, this is so wonderful, the goal of the day that you were saved was the day that Jesus Christ is going to come get you. Do you understand? The end of that, the purpose, the purpose of the day that you were born again is the day that he's going to come back and give you the fullness of that salvation. And he has given us the earnest of that salvation by the Spirit of God coming and living within us and changing us day after day after day, giving us victory in our lives day after day after day, giving us joy in our lives day after day after day in horrible circumstances, difficult circumstances. You know, I was, I was commenting, uh, I got a text message yesterday from somebody who was asking me if I had some time to meet with him about a specific thing and asking me what my week was like this week. And so I went through, my, in my mind, I went through what my week was like this week. And this week, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but this week I spent time with a, uh, a pastor whose father died, 
a pastor whose daughter is dying of cancer, and I'm going today to the funeral of a pastor who died, and the church right now doesn't have the pastor. And that's just pastors, and that's just this week. And so we are constantly going through what we would consider to be difficult times, but these are not difficult times for God. Do you understand? That really, they're not. They're not. I, I would to God that I could get every born-again believer to understand you're looking at the wrong thing if you're worried about your circumstances. You're completely misunderstanding the whole point of the trying or the testing that you're going through because it isn't here to be hard on you. It's here to prove how great He is in your life. Over and over and over again. It is to remove any confidence you have in you and give you all confidence in Him. That's it. That's it, period. Listen, listen. If you're born again, here's the promise that God has. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will continue to love you. I, will, I am the author and I am the finisher of your faith. That which I began at the day of your salvation, I'm coming to accomplish when I come to get you personally. Amen? This is the promise of God. And this is what the passage is making clear. And this is why we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You say, here's a real significant, meaningful question. And this is the question. Can Jason McCord rejoice today with joy unspeakable and full of glory? For those of you who don't know who Jason McCord is, this is Katrina McCord's husband, who just found out very recently that his wife, the mother of his not very old children, has significant and terminal brain cancer. Can he rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory? And the answer is, not only can he, he should. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that has brought this into their lives. He has brought this into their lives. And you say, well, why did he bring this into their lives? And the answer is, I don't know why he brought this into their lives. I really don't. Why he brought this into their lives, why he brought whatever he brought into your life, I don't know why, except for I know this. He wants you to understand how great he is in the midst of this. And he wants somebody else to be able to see the effect that he's able to have on your life in the midst of this. Listen, I'm telling you, if he just wanted to save us and take us home instantly, he could. But then we'd have no testimony to look at. Do you understand? Who's, who led you to Christ? Does anybody remember who led you to Christ? Were they a Christian? Did they have a testimony? Yes or no? Yes. All of us that were led to Christ were led to Christ by, from, because of something that he had done in somebody else's life that was still here then. Amen? That's what God is doing. God is leaving us here so that the people behind us can see how great he is in our lives. Listen, we're all going home soon. I mean it honestly. We are all going home soon. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried in this short period of time between here and there. The people behind you need to see how great he is in your life. That's what they need to see. That's what God is accomplishing. That's what it says. That's what it says right here. This is what it's saying. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation, the prophets, the prophets looked at this and said, look, look, look up here. The Old Testament saints did not understand the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but you do. If you're a new creature here today, then God lives in you and has the power in you to rescue you today from you today. Not your circumstances. God is not here to rescue you from your circumstances. He's here to rescue you from you in the midst of your circumstances. Because the circumstances are not too much for God. 
But unbelief is too much for God. Do you understand? When you don't trust Him, it ruins your life. It ruins your testimony. And it ruins the lives of those that are watching you right now. As you don't trust Him, it hurts them. And it causes them to believe maybe God is not everything that they say He is. But here's the good news. Jesus is everything that He says He is. Which is far greater, by the way, than I've ever said anything about Him. Jesus is far greater than I could tell you this morning. And I'm sorry if there are people in your life who have not been a good testimony or witness of the greatness of Christ. But it doesn't change how great Jesus is. But let me ask you, and this is where we're closed this morning. How many of you would say honestly, honestly, it is time for me. It is time for me that I live in this short period between the day that I trusted Christ and the day that He comes to get me, this short period. Even if that short period is 80 years, it is is time that I stop living selfishly and I start living an actual life of rejoicing with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Why? Just because He's worthy. I'm not asking you to pretend that Jesus is great. I'm asking you to rejoice in how great He actually is. And to stop letting your circumstances ruin your opportunity of rejoicing in Him today. Yes, the circumstances are too great for you. They are. They just are. The circumstances are too great for you. But they're not too great for Him. They're not too great for Him. Even if, by the way, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. That's the testimony of the Lord Jesus. That's a, look, when my Father says it's time for me to take your life, okay, Father, into Thy hands I commit my spirit. I trust You, even though You're about to take my life. Why? Because You're worthy of my trust. And our Lord Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And I trust the Lord Jesus with the same confidence that the Lord Jesus trusted his Father. I know he's good. I know he's good. I don't have any doubt that he's good. And I'm sorry, tragically sorry, for all selfishness that remains. But God, God set us free from selfishness in our lives by his power, amen, that we would be the kind of genuine rejoicing Christians that the people around us are so great a need of seeing. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for just how wonderfully clear this is, this passage, Lord. How simple it is that you have saved us. You have saved us, saved us, saved us. You're coming to fulfill this in just a very short period of time. And Lord, I do not know how it is that we take our eyes off of you, that we would look away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would not let anything on this earth occupy our attention, whether we consider it to be a good thing or a bad thing, whether it's something that excites us and and, and, and sparkles, or whether it's something that's tragic and we would recoil from. Please don't let us put our eyes on any of these things, but let us look away unto the Lord Jesus completely and totally and all the time. Father, bless us and bless those around us. Lord, help us to be a help to them that they would see just how wonderful you are. And Lord, we acknowledge, we say amen. Thou art wonderful, amen. Thou art wonderful. We we acknowledge this and we rejoice in this. Now help us to help others to see this instead of our own selfishness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.